Devoncast from Radio X. This is the Devoncast, the regular podcast looking at local and regional issues in Devon, the politics, the people, and how decisions here affect how we live, work, and enjoy our county. I'm Guy Henderson, and I'm Alison Stevenson. Protests. My week has been all about protests. Have a little listen to this. That's one protest that was happening uh, somewhere where I was, uh, where I was the, actually just waiting to uh, to go into a council meeting. And here's another one. This is uh, this is the kind of thing that happens when uh, when our local democracy reporters get out and about on the streets. See, when people ask what we do for a living, and we say that we cover council meetings, they glaze over and they think that must be really dull. But it isn't. The things that happen in the council chamber really affect people's lives. And this week, when I've been there anyway, councillors in Teambridge and Exeter were left in no doubt about the strength of feeling on some local issues. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. We'll be talking about sports pitches in Newton Abbott. We'll be talking about a veteran councillor. We'll be talking about a transformation of Torquay Harbourside. And we'll tell you later on which Devon MPs are going to prison. Devoncast from Radio X. We'll get to those in a minute. It's time to cast our pods. Ali, have you had a noisy week? Well, no protests for me this week, Guy, but plenty of interesting things going on. I've been in Plymouth getting some reaction to the new plans for Amada Way. Remember Amada Way, the site of the controversial tree felling earlier this year? We'll find out more later. And Devonport Police Station is now open to the public and our Police and Crime Commissioner says it's the best inquiry office in the county. I chatted to Alison Hernandez on this after hearing about the latest success of the drugs crackdown Operation Scorpion, but more on that later. Indeed. So in Exeter this week, councillors ran the gauntlet of a noisy protest as they went in for their meeting in the city's ancient guild hall. There's a public question session at the beginning of every meeting and this month the controversial low-traffic neighbourhood trial was at the forefront of people's minds. There's been a development today too, with a decision taken to allow taxis to go through the roadblocks to help elderly people, people with disabilities and children to use the services they need. Since the summer, big wooden boxes have been blocking some of the streets around the Hevitry area. The idea is to take traffic out of residential streets, making them safer and cutting down on pollution. Supporters of the scheme say it's working and people feel safer with their new street scene. Opponents say it's just kicking the can down the road, moving the problem somewhere else, building up traffic and causing more pollution in places like East Wanford Hill, which is now officially the most polluted place in Exeter. Outside the Guildhall, with chanting going on in the background, I talked to some of the protagonists. Uh, first three protesters, you'll hear Clive Hutchings first, then Ian Frankham and then Stuart Watson. Probably about 90-95% of people are against it, even people not from the city, um, people that don't cycle, don't walk, whatever, they just think it's just a bad idea. It's just the fact that it's restriction and it's creating a problem somewhere else. It's, it's alleviating a problem near, but it's putting it somewhere else. You Overall, it's not helping. I personally think get rid of most of the traffic lights in the city, because I think that causes a lot of the problems. There are a lot of posts in relation to care workers. They can't get to all their customers now because obviously they're not allowed to go through the bus gates, etc. So uh, they're setting traffic idling. Instead of seeing six or seven uh, clients a day, they're down to four or five and they don't get paid for that, of course. So really affects them. And then you've got uh, other people that are affected, midwives, who, who they're not allowed to uh, use the bus gates. Postal workers, there. I know there's been a lot of disruption. They weren't consulted. Uh, postal workers, they've had to break up their rounds, uh, cut off and go back uh, to their depots, etc., unable to finish their rounds because half their round is in one part of uh, perhaps Whipton and then uh, another part in Hevetry. So major disruption beyond um, the, the disruption that uh, people are saying there, there's been. So quite significant uh, 
people affected. Uh, we really just need our councillors to actually see some sense and, and uh, they, they purport that they're listening. We want to see some action to, to, to show that they are listening to the people. Yeah, I mean, I am a very keen cyclist and I do a lot of walking, but these LTNs are disastrous for so many people. I and my wife run a community cafe at our church, which normally would take us five minutes by car. We have to take a car on this one occasion in the week because we've got to transport equipment there to run the community cafe. Now we either have to drive all the way round, which takes, and half past eight in the morning takes us over half an hour when it took five minutes. Now it takes, uh, you just can't do it. Um, and the other story is about taxi drivers. We have a disabled lady on Sweetbriar Lane. She needs to take a taxi when the weather is, is, is inclement. It used to cost us £6 to get to our church for the community cafe and for other events. Now it costs £18, and that is a fact. Protesters there outside Exeter Guildhall, then inside the council chamber, from where you could still hear the chants, the whistles, and something that sounded rather like a tuba. I spoke to Heavetry Green councillor Carol Bennett. The main aim is of the LTN is, I mean, there's health benefits, physical and mental um, benefits, but it's also to do with reducing rat runs, making the place safer and more attractive for residents to cycle, children to cycle, safety issues. So it's sort of like reducing local. It's trying to change people's mode of transport and thinking, which is obviously difficult and appreciate change takes time but it's it's about as i said reducing rat run making short local journeys being made by foot or bike but obviously i myself have got mobility issues and there's always going to be people that do need to go by car be this trial is for 18 months and the first six months is um in conjunction with an online consultation and I've been telling residents of who are both for and against the Actor Streets trial that they must partake in the um, online consultation or write, put it in writing because that is one way that will shape any tweaks that need to be made. Um, obviously, I've, I've had a, lots of people with um, concerns about the air pollution on arterial roads, as we've heard tonight from five members of the, the public that put questions to the leader. But I've had lots and lots of positive feedback saying how they feel sa their children feel safer, cycling, um, walking, the school runs completely changed people's um, way of getting to school. I mean, they, they say it's, it's much safer, it's more attractive. And the thing is, it's by changing people's way of moving around Heavetry and the reduction in the cars that will make it more attractive to, for people to walk and cycle again. And Tessa Tucker, prospective parliamentary candidate for the Conservatives in Exeter at the next election, thinks the community hasn't been brought along in the journey when these schemes have been implemented. So it's pretty clear that low traffic neighbourhoods have, have split opinion in Exeter. There are obviously benefits to people living in, in them in terms of reduced uh, traffic in, in their roads, but it, 
I, it's fair to say they've also caused a lot of other consequences for the roads around them, for local businesses. And so I think that there needs to be some real focus now on consulting with the communities to make sure that we get the right outcomes for the people that live, work and commute into the city. Because frankly, at the moment, it doesn't feel like we've got the right solution. Of course, there were consultations before these happened, and I think at one point it was a 50-50 split of whether they should or shouldn't. It's only in the practice, isn't it, that people then realise that actually things are not working as perhaps they thought. Yeah, for sure. I think until these schemes are actually implemented, it's difficult to know in reality how they're going to affect people. And right, it's not for me to dictate what's right or wrong in this particular scenario, but I think there is a real issue here about people not feeling listened to. And that's really, really important. And if we're going to be able to deliver better solutions for transport in the city, we need to make sure that people are brought along with those ideas and they don't feel like they're just being enforced on them. Otherwise, we're not going to get the right outcomes. That was Tessa Tucker, who wants to take the Exeter seat when Sir Ben Bradshaw leaves Parliament and she was talking to Paul Nero. Ali, your week's been all about trees this week, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Um, trees really being talked about again in, in Plymouth because uh, the Labour-led City Council has unveiled its new plans with 200 trees for on miles away this week. So this, this main thoroughfare at the entrance to the city centre has been looking a little sad of late. Residents are keen to see something happen after more than 100 trees were felled there in March. The decision, as we know, to chop down the trees was hugely controversial and led to the resignation of the then Conservative leader, Richard Bingley, and redevelopment plans for that part of the city were scrapped. But with the £12.7 still on the table, the new Labour administration has been back to the drawing board and presented its plans to the public this week and promised a six-week extensive consultation, hoping to get the public back on board this time. Council leader Tudor Evans explains. So here's the exciting bit. There's going to be the largest, probably the largest, if not one of the largest, children's playgrounds in any city centre in the country. This one's going to be the size of five tennis courts, right? And it's going to be climbing, running and jumping, and there's going to be fountains there for kids to play and splash through. I mean, it's going to be awesome and a real destination. So people will come into town for this. Um, it's also there if they're there anyway, but it'll be a real destination and a game changer, I think. Um, we're also going to be putting loads of trees. We've spent a lot of time on trees because it's kind of, um, we need to increase the biodiversity of uh, Amada Way. We'll be putting in more trees than, than were there before, about 50 more, and all different sizes, about 16 different species of trees, so that'll be different in the summer compared with the autumn, compared with the winter. Uh, really excited about that. And they're going to be bird-friendly. They're going to be bug-friendly. We're also going to be putting bug houses in. Uh, so, again, it's going to be a real boost to diversity. Well, it's not a referendum, but what we are doing is doing an extensive consultation. Uh, it's going to be weeks and weeks of it um, with specialist firma consultants who are used to doing this stuff. So it'll be, we'll be out and about. There's a portal online. Uh, let's talk about amadaway.co.uk. And uh, there'll be people wandering around the city centre with iPads and you can see the plans and you can uh, feedback there and then. Um, we're also going to be talking to lots of community groups and stakeholders in the city as well. So, it's, you know, we're going to have the widest possible view that we can have uh, from uh, people who use the city centre and have got an interest in it.
That was Plymouth City Council leader Tudor Evans, wasn't it? Talking about five tennis courts. Oh, it sounds exciting, Fountains doesn't it? and everything. Oh, yes. Well, I went out on the streets of Plymouth on a nice rainy day um, to talk to some of the residents about uh, these new plans, and this is what they had to say. I've seen it on the news, and I do like what they've done. I mean, it's something for the kids, which we needed anyway, because the kids, there's nothing for them at the minute, is there? Um, yeah, m- more trees, which is a good thing. Um, yeah, I like it. I think it'll be trashed within a week, all these water features. Look what happened when they put that uh, waterfall in up the top of the top of the road up here. They put soap in it. Too much vandalism in this city. I think it'll be really beneficial to Plymouth, um, that it'll work out pretty good for the children, for visitors, as long as it encourages more people to spend time in the city. Okay. And hopefully to get more shops to open. <laughs> um, and uh, how do you think it looks now, now the trees are all gone? Much better. Actually makes it look a lot brighter open space. Um, and hopefully when they redevelop it, it'll look even better. I think, well, I think we need more greenery around here because it's pretty, especially when it's raining, it's pretty dark. But I think to have a children's playground as well, it'll be quite nice for children to be more active around here and have a nice scene of greenery. Windy day down there, Ali. <laughs> it was windy and rainy, yeah. Quite, quite nice sound effects in the background there. Absolutely. You were braving the storm. What was it? Storm Babette down there. <laughs> In Plymouth, yeah. So just, you can't always get a pin-sharp audio on a windy you day, You cannot, can you? no. I mean, normally the sun shines in Plymouth, but not on that day. <laughs> <laughs> Do forgive us. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got to get that right, haven't they? Armada Way is absolutely... Oh. When people think about the centre of Plymouth, it's Armada Way they're yeah. thinking about. It really is, because, you know, when you come off the train... You, you walk right down that way. Um, it's a big area and it's it has a lot of impact. So it needs to be something that everyone can use. And I think the plan is to get people sitting out there enjoying, you know, when the weather's nice. And also, like, it's going to have some really good lighting so they'll be able to sort of enjoy it in the evenings. I love the idea that Tudor Evans says people will come to, to um, Plymouth just to see it and for the kids to play in it. And I think he's right. If they get it right, yeah. it'll be a real attraction. I think so. Um, and it's always good to have somewhere for the kids because when you want to do your shopping, you can like bribe them and say, well, if you, you know, if you come to the shops for me for half an hour, you can then go on the swings. And let's hope when you go down there next time, it's not quite so windy. <laughs> Indeed. Still to come on Devoncast, we'll talk about Operation Scorpion. We'll talk about sports pitches in Newton Abbott. We'll pay tribute to a veteran councillor, talk about Torquay Harbour and some absolute plans to transform the place and we'll tell you which Devon MPs are going to prison. But first, Teambridge Council has warned this week that it could, or has been warned this week, that it could go down in history as the council that killed Newton Abbott over controversial plans for the town centre. Supporters of the traffic scheme for Queen Street, which means wider pavements, more trees, less parking, uh, say that going ahead is the only way to save the shopping street from decline, but protesters say it'll kill trade, and they're ready to go to court to fight their case. There was chanting, there was banner waving, although there was no tuba that I could hear in this one. As members of the full council arrived for their meeting, objectors say they want the council to think again 
and to go back uh, and talk to the traders affected by the proposals before work starts next year. Here's Richard Dawes of the South Devon Alliance. I think we, we recognise that once a decision's been made, if it's a bad decision, then we should be able to review that. The work's not planned to start until the middle of next year, so of course there's, there's a chance for democracy to have some checks and balances, review the decision that's been made, and, and, and if it's clear that it doesn't carry the support of the residents and the traders of the town, then of course the decision should be changed. There has been a clear message from the residents and the traders. Uh, the traders have said all along, it's not even arguable, that the traders have, have said that they do not want this scheme. 75% of them have said it in, in, in the surveys that were carried out. Some of the surveys were so overwhelming that they never put the percentage the traders are against this. The residents are uh, against this as well. That, that has come through the consultations. And the way it's been presented is that, uh, that the, the idea that someone might like trees within a town centre doesn't translate into the fact that they want to remove all the parking on the busiest pop and shop parking street in the town. I'm, I'm sure Queen Street could do with a makeover. Uh, the, the main focus of the future High Street Fund should be around the Market Square, which has a, a vacancy rate of 33% at the moment. It's lost Wilco recently. Um, uh, Queen Street has a, uh, an occupancy rate with only vacancies at 6%. It, it's a street that's flourishing. It, it will be RIP Queen Street. They closed the street for a survey the other week, and on that day, traders closed up. Some of them reported losses of £1,000 in a day. I mean, you don't need to be a, a, an economist to understand that that will have a huge impact. That will be the end of a lot of the businesses on Queen Street. Windy day in Newton Abbott as well, as you may have noticed there. Uh, supporters of the scheme, though, say uh, giving pedestrians more freedom could be the saving of the street. Here's Liberal Democrat Council leader Martin Wrigley. I see feelings are running high and have great sympathy for the traders and the people around the area. But it's really down to a question of what is the best for the future of Queen Street. Do we go for an area that is wider, more open, more green, more pedestrian friendly? Or do we continue with a congested, traffic-filled area where people can't walk on the pavements? The national picture shows that in many, many areas, the pedestrianised future is better. Look at Courtney Street in Newton Abbott. Look at this triangle in Tynmouth. Those are pedestrian areas that are now fantastic. Without changes, Queen Street will die. We are looking to save it. I asked Councillor Wrigley if he had sympathy for the plight of the traders in Newton Abbott who fear for their uh, livelihoods if this goes ahead. Huge sympathy, and we'll do everything we can to help them over this change. I don't believe their trade will drop away. I think it will change, that's absolutely true, but it has to change. All over the country, shopping streets are dying because they're stuck in 19th century habits. This needs to be a street fit for the 21st century, and that's what we're trying to do. Members of the council didn't actually debate the matter when they met this week, but they uh, they referred it on and the issue will come up again when the executive meets on Halloween. It's a monster of a story, this one, Ali. Oof. And it will run and run. So it will. OK, so back to Plymouth now and um, chatting with Alison Hernandez, the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner again. She was telling me about the... Um, the launch of the sixth campaign against drugs last week and the figures released today reveal that £90,000 worth of drugs were seized throughout Devon and Cornwall during the latest Operation Scorpion mission. Op Scorpion is a cross-border collaboration between the South West Police Forces and this time it was focusing on county lines and the protection of children and vulnerable adults who are being exploited by drug gangs. Um, here's Alison telling us how um, Operation Scorpion came into being. So... 
Police and Crime Commission has set priorities for policing and drugs is one of them. And uh, all five of us in the southwest region of Police and Crime Commissioners have all got drugs in our Police and Crime Plan. So we thought, what can we do together as a region to try and make it the most hostile to drug dealers that we possibly can? And we came up with the chief constables, this Operation Scorpion. And what this is, is it's a sort of, it could be a day, a week, a month worth of action that's happening in communities at the same time across the whole region to, to try and find those drug dealers that are causing um, both antisocial behaviour frightening people uh, in the streets and actually communities where it's been persistently happening are fed up with it. So we're trying to target those visible drug dealers in our communities. The recent um, one that we did uh, just happened the other week was focused on county lines. So that's about the travelling of drugs into the region and across the region um, from other areas. And uh, I, I have to say, you know, the main focus for us is our children are getting exploited through this process and we've managed to protect 10 children in this last operation that we just had. So, you know, it's quite important that we're focused on this. We know our communities and some of our uh, people in our communities think drugs is fun. Some of them think it's legal because all their mates do it and it's all that therefore isn't that the norm. No, it isn't. And the whole point of this operation is to help remind the public about what is legal and what is illegal and why you want to steer clear of drugs. So with this latest operation that we've just done, we've disrupted 36 um, elements of drug dealing, arrested 36 people and actually over £90,000 worth of drugs were seized. Um, and I think for us around the issue of the children, you know, 10 children being protected is quite vital. And six adults as well who were needing to be protected. So I think there's some really important elements here, which is making sure that not only are we taking drugs off the streets, but we're actually making sure that people who are being exploited, and they really are being exploited, these are vulnerable people, um, they could be young people, they could be people with learning disabilities, they are absolutely being exploited in this process and we're able to identify them through doing the operation and protect them. That was Police and Crime Commissioner Alison Hernandez, wasn't it? She's speaking to you at Devonport Police Station where the Public Inquiry Office has been open for the first time. Yeah, so the Commissioner Val, when she was re-elected for a second term to make police stations more accessible for people to report crime and also to improve engagement with the local neighbourhood teams um, and 13 front desks have now been opened or reopened to the public in the last three years. Plymouth now has more police stations open to the public than anywhere else in Devon and Cornwall um, so Alison tells us a little bit about that here. I think the fact that it's the third ones to actually open in the city of Plymouth is uh, Plymouth should be very proud. It's the only place that has three police inquiry offices. But opening Devonport has been really important because when it was originally built, and this is before my time, the, the police promised to actually have a front desk here and they never followed through with it. So this isn't a reopening here. This is an opening of this police station to the public. And I'm really proud that we've been able to achieve it. And it is a lovely, welcoming office. I think it's probably the best one I've seen so far. Um, so I hope people won't be afraid to come in and use it. You might need some help personally as an individual and you might be quite distressed and sometimes you don't want to wait on the phone line or even report it online. You just need to speak to somebody to know that you've been listened to, heard and somebody is going to help you. And that's what doing the face-to-face -face, uh, work in a police inquiry office is all about. So it's about building the confidence in individuals to come forward, particularly if they've had very horrific crimes happen to them. So it's giving them that nice safe space to come and do that. Um, but also, you know, you've got to remember, we're all paying more in our council tax since I took office. Every year I've put it up. And this is a tangible way to show communities that policing 
everything is by the side on their side in their communities. So for me, it's a it's a way of showing that that investment is actually being visibly seen in communities. Okay, so that investment visibly seen in communities, um, three three days at the moment, the office is going to be open, but that will increase to six days in the new year. Uh, please say they're taking their time to find the right person or persons to be front desk inquiry offers because it does take a special someone to do I that job. Um, the commissioner explains here how beneficial the openings have been so far in other areas of Devon. Tiverton was one of the first ones that we reopened and um, uh, within the first week there was all sorts of things that had happened from finding a missing person, an elderly gentleman who didn't know where he was, was brought into the station to say can you help and he was logged as missing so they were able to look after him, connect him back up with his family. Um, We've had people who literally lost their car keys, someone found them in the street, dropped them into the station, within a couple of hours someone had popped in and was able to pick them up. Just these little stories um, uh, of helping people in the community has been absolutely delightful but but also we've had very serious uh, issues come in so again with the first opening of Tiverton we we had a young woman come in who didn't realise she was being stalked but once she spoke to the police inquiry officer they were able to actually say this is very serious and and let's go and sort this out so sometimes people aren't even aware of what's happening to them but by talking it through with someone it really helps Um, we've opened 13 so far Um, by the end of this financial year all those 13 will be fully opened uh, monday to saturday 10 till 10 till 6 sorry 10 till 3 not 6 um, uh, so there'll be, and that's the busiest times on the phones. So that's one of the reasons why those hours have been chosen. Um, but I am looking to open four more. So I've got four more to make a decision about where I might open those stations. And I'd welcome anybody wanting to approach my office to let me know that they want one where they live. That was Alison Hernandez. I think opening police front desks is a, is a really good step, don't you? When you used to go into the police front desk, you felt like you could see somebody face to face. Yeah, I think it's going to do really good for the police uh, you know great build their reputation and uh, you know they get a bad rap don't they in, in sometimes, the public yeah. sometimes so um, I think it's it, it's going to be a great thing and the officers that were there were really excited about it they they really want to engage with the community I think that's lovely but I, the question is are we ever going to go back to the days when, when I started out in journalism <laughs> long long before you obviously Ali we <laughs> used to go into the police inquiry desk and the mm. duty sergeant would go through the log and it used to be pen and paper to see what had happened overnight for you. Ooh. I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to that. But. No, maybe not. I do remember when the community constable used to come into my my newspaper office, though, and uh, yeah. tell me what had been happening. So See, in return for a cup of tea, they would tell you everything that had been Absolutely. happening. Absolutely. Fabulous stuff. Still to come on the Devoncast, we'll talk about a veteran councillor um, who sadly died this week. Uh, we'll talk about transformation of Torquay Harbourside and we'll tell you about those Devon MPs who are going behind bars. But first, Timbridge Council is being urged to do more to help grassroots sports clubs after setting new fees, which mean a local football team has to pay more than £80 a match to use a council pitch. Newton Rovers chairman Steve Down has been telling us about the problems the ever-increasing fees are causing for his club. He says that more than £2,000 to hire the pitch every season is too much. The council recently raised hundreds of its fees for the second time this year, saying it was the only way to raise enough money to maintain vital services as government support for local councils was slashed. So, does Steve think that his Newton Abbott club is getting value for money? We paid out 4800 and that's without buying any kits last year. We made do with the kits we had. We spent £2,096 on pitch hire. We spent 1020 on referees, and that's gone up as well. Referees have gone up. 
they're somewhere between 45 and 50 pound a game as well the pitch itself is awful every match i have to clear the dog's mess off the pitch before we start my record is 15 times coming on in the game every game i have to do that yeah. i have to fill fill in holes I had to fill in a big hole in the penalty area on Saturday before the referee would start the game. They did a lot of work on the drainage a few years ago that have worked, has worked, but it gets cut every six weeks and rolls, maybe. The problem they have now is they've built the cafe on until the end of the new changing rooms. Um, to stop the ball going behind, they put a huge great wire net. And so the kids come down and after school and kick into the goalmouth and, you know, it's bare. It's, it's bare already. And we played, what, five matches? Timbridge Council's Liberal Democrat Deputy Leader Richard Keeling said that raising the fees again for pitches, car parks and other services had been one of the hardest decisions he'd made. And he said the council remained committed to backing grassroots sport. Newton Rovers may even be able to apply for some help. Uh, here's Councillor Keeling speaking at a recent Timbridge Council meeting. We on occasion have to make tough choices, and we have one now. Today we will consider increasing a range of fees and charges mid-year to generate additional income to continue to deliver the high-quality services and to combat increasing cost pressures since this year's budget was set in February. Many other councils across Devon and beyond have already set out increases mid-year. We have been reluctant, but now see this as essential. I have set out fees, increases to protect frontline services. Let's face the facts. All councils are and have been for a number of years underfunded by this government. Colleagues, difficult choices have to be made in a cost of living crisis. The last thing we want to do is to increase our fees and charges, but it is essential that we generate sufficient income to maintain the services on which local residents rely. Colleagues, as you're aware, other councils are facing bankruptcy with their chief financial officer calling a 141 notice. This cannot be the option for Teabridge. We can no longer bury our heads in the sand and wait for the government to come to our aid, because they are not. But while the council makes a good case for having to raise funds locally because money's no longer coming from central government, Steve Down fears that local sports clubs may end up paying the ultimate price. There's only ourselves and Newton 66 left on the council pitches. There's two pitches left down at Decoy, decent pitches and changing rooms. But they used to be used, but they're not anymore. And clubs are just folding because they can't, you know, carry on like this. Still to come on the podcast, we'll talk about Talkie Harbourside. We'll talk about those Devon MPs going behind bars. But first of all, Ali, I wanted to talk about a veteran councillor who's died recently. Um, When we first started off in the newspaper business way back in the day, um, (laughs) all councillors had these big, big characters, didn't they? Um, There's always... There are always these sort of elder statesmen and stateswomen in councils that kind of drive the thing along, aren't there? Definitely, definitely are. Yeah, I mean, people can't get seem to come and go now. There's quite a big turnover, isn't there? But yeah, you'll you'll get those that have, have been there since they were a lad, and they're well, they're pushing eighty and they're still there. Well, this is one of them. A gentleman by the name of Trevor Pennington uh, has died at the age of ninety-two. And Trevor Pennington was one of those people that, that absolutely drove the council chamber. He was on Southampton District Council. He'd been there since 1976. Uh, he was Malden Parish Council. I think he was Devon County Council as well. 
Uh, and he stayed a councillor until he stood down in May this year. So that's nearly 50 years of public service wow, that, uh, that Trevor put on. And he's an absolute giant of local government. From our point of view, he was really helpful. He never dodged a question. Whenever you came to him and asked him a question, however stupid or impertinent it might have been, always answered it, never dodged a chat. You remember in those uh, times when you'd have a, a break, an adjournment in a council meeting and everybody would go out for a fag break. Not Trevor Pennington, obviously, but, uh, you know, the, the disreputable ones would all go out for a fag break. <laughs> and you'd pick up your best stories while you were standing outside the council chamber waiting for, waiting for things to go on. There are councillors like him still in our local councils, but not many, probably not enough. And just to put in context how big a figure he was in the village of Malden, let me just tell you a quick story. I used to be part of the committee that ran the Malden Apple Pie Fair run back in the day. It was a 10k run uh, that used to happen on Malden Apple Pie Fair day. And it was quite big at one time. So one year we're all standing down there in the middle of the village, milling around, all the officials in the high vis, all the runners waiting for the start, family, supporters. The road is absolutely packed. We couldn't afford a, a road closure, so we just kind of relied on people to uh, observe the road closure. And this car appeared coming down the street towards us very carefully, very slowly, no danger involved, but this car was definitely heading straight into the middle of, of what we were doing. So we kind of moved aside and the car parked. In my memory, he's got two wheels up on the curb. And out of the car stepped Trevor Pennington into the back and he took out his two uh, flat coat retrievers. He used to show these dogs all over Europe. He was a flat coat retriever specialist and dogs on the lead walked right through the middle of the crowd, you know, just a little nod to a couple of people and disappeared off about his business. And people are saying, who on earth was that? Who does he think he is? And one of the locals just turned to us and said, that's Lord Malden. And so that, <laughs> that was that was very much very much Trevor. So um, he's a character who'll be uh, who'll be properly missed. And how many apple pies would you eat on a day like that? It was a huge apple pie, so you'd have a slice of it. But it would be one of those things where the uh, the stars of the summer shows would come, and you'd get Leslie Crowther or oh. Roy Hudd or somebody like that would come oh, and fantastic. open the face. I don't know why they never got Lord Malden to do it. Though. <laughs> he would have been uh, he'd have been the right man for the job. Ali, you've got some news for us about Torquay's Harbourside. Yeah, so um, the Harbourside there at Torquay's would be transformed with a £4 million makeover. Work will start next month on the biggest transformation project the town has seen in decades. Bus stops will be moved, traffic will be squeezed into a narrower road and a wide pedestrian boulevard will skirt the harbour, complete with a new statue of Agatha Christie. Buses will turn right out of the bottom of Fleet Street and head towards Paynton, rather than having to go all the way up one side of the Harbour Road, around the clock tower and back down the other side. The plans went on show for an invited audience of local business owners, with people on hand to answer their questions about the unavoidable disruption that's going to come with the scheme. Deputy Council Leader Chris Lewis explains. This is the first part, really, of the town deal, which, uh, when we were elected in May, we were determined to get across the line as soon as possible, get it cracking. It's been on the cards for a long time. This is doing up the strand, where we put in the nice bits, which will make Torquay Town Centre down by the harbour a really attractive place for both residents, for businesses around the harbour, and, of course, our many tourists. So... It, it, it's a good time. It's going to take a long time to get through. But when it is finished, it'll really uh, make this part of Torquay 
a really nice place to visit. The clock tower uh, down at the end of Torwood Street will be in a pedestrianised area, so you can walk along it. It's going to be a real promenade field going along to the harbour. And of course, overlooking it is Debenhams, which is part of the town deal. So the whole of that site down by the uh, harbour, the Strand, part of Torquay, will be transformed. Uh, the first part will start now and finish in October, and then we've got the Debenham site to do. You know, at the moment, it's a bit tired, it's a bit worn out, Debenhams is closed. Hopefully, in a few years' time, the whole of this part of Torquay will be regenerated and will be a, a fantastic place to visit. There is money, and it's three to four million for this part, but the whole picture, of course, is over 21 million for a Torquay deal. And then we've just been given another 20 million, which is also there to help Torquay, which may get the other sites off the ground, like Union Square, Debenhams, uh, the Pavilion. Uh, so, yeah, really thanks to the government. We've got the money, we've got the partner going forward. Now we've just got to get on with the job. It's not only uh, Torquay, but also Paynton. It's uh, across the bay and Brixham. We've been given the money from the government. We've got a partner. We've just got to get on and deliver. In a very noisy room. I hadn't realised how noisy it was. Actually. <laughs> uh, that was Chris Lewis, uh, Deputy Leader of Torbay Council, making his regular appearance on the Devoncast. Other yeah. Torbay councillors are available, but Chris just seems to have been uh, the man who's been fronting some interesting stories in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so uh, that's certainly. why we've had Chris on. Hopefully things are looking up there for, for Torbay. Before we go, TV news, Ali. Yeah, so uh, if MP starring on TV shows is, is your thing, don't forget to tune into Channel 4's Banged Up, airing on October the 31st when Plymouth Tory MP Johnny Mercer ends up behind bars. The Conservative MP for Moorview is voluntarily entering a cell in HMP Shrewsbury for the documentary series, which also features former Tiverton and Honiton MP Neil Parrish, as well as a host of um, familiar faces from the screen. Um, participants were locked up for eight days, during which time they were kept in cells, given jobs and sub subjected to body searches. They were attended by, by real former prison guards and ex-criminals. The celebrity inmates had the opportunity to interrogate their reformed cellmates on their prison experiences and former crimes, as well as examine the impact of the system on them. Mr Mercer, who's not available to speak to us today, has been reported as saying that the aim of the UK prison system should be on reforming people. I think this will be worth a watch, Guy. What do you think? I think it's going to be great. It's going to be like porridge. <laughs> yeah. Which one of them is going to be Norman Stanley Fletcher? Oh, let's hope Johnny Mercer. Could be Johnny Mercer. <laughs> Um, yeah, it could be Neil Parrish. You could never be, know. could you be. Never know. I think that's going to be very good. It'll be interesting. I keep hitting my keyboard. I'm sorry, yeah. that's what the bang is. Well, apparently they've already commissioned a second series of this, so uh, they're, they're predicting it's going to be well watched. And it's in HMP Shrewsbury. They could have put it on Dartmoor, though, couldn't they? Yeah, they could have. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been fun. Yeah, mm. I'm definitely going to watch that. <laughs> good. And that's that. Thank you for listening to the podcast, uh, the Devoncast, again. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you normally find your podcasts. I've been Guy Henderson. And I've been Alison Stevenson. See you next time. Devoncast from Radio X.